Welcome back to another episode of Tales from Corporate, hosted by Maria and Elise. Each week, we bring you our tales and perspectives on trending topics around work in corporate America, because life can often truly be stranger than fiction. Be sure to share Tales from Corporate. Listen, download, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week's tale is about exceptionally competent, minimally qualified. (laughs) It sounds like a job wreck. What do you think, Maria? I love it. It's, uh, (laughs) at least it's descriptive of a lot of people that I was amazed to see actually thrive in the corporate environment. So as for tales, do you have any particular tales of individuals who you've come across in your journeys that just you watched with amazement, maybe like I did, who exhibited these particular traits? Oh, Maria, I witnessed many of people, male and female, who (laughs) were given management titles or supervisory titles, and they really should not have had those titles, whether it was based on lack of schooling, the way that they carry themselves in meetings or with clients. You were just kind of like shaking your head all the time, like, is this our, is this our new boss? But (laughs) sometimes, you know, people do what they can, do what they will, do what they must to get to that job role. They don't really care. And if you got a hookup and a connect and you're friends with someone or you may be sleeping with someone, but that's another episode. We totally have to do relationships in the workplace. (laughs) Mm -hmm. People have have those roles and you're like, you're so unqualified. But at the same time, if you are uh, directly reporting up to those individuals, you still have to show respect and still have to pull through your day but it can be hard on the morale of the team if you feel like your leader is highly incompetent. It's it's very true. And to add to that, that's sort of a privilege that a lot of individuals don't have access to. So in particular, people of color are not often given the benefit of the doubt and can't just simply talk their way into a higher role or an exciting opportunity, that highly visible project or committee to work on or to engage with, right? Or that that special program, a number of things. Because there's a legacy behind this, and we'll, I know we're going to talk about that in a second, but what I've seen also too, and time and time again, I just sit back and I kind of, not to hate, but I kind of hate <laughs> on the folks who can simply exhibit their extroversion and their seeming uh, seeming love of their own voice. <laughs> and they can just talk their way into convincing people that they're highly competent, that they have leadership ability, that they can rise to any challenge that you throw at them when they haven't demonstrated any of that. And going back to the point about people of color and many women, even white women experience this, the other other folks have to 
make sure they can excel at doing the job before they're even given the job, meaning that stretch, air quotes, stretch um, position or that stretch project or that promotion, right? I've seen people literally, as you say, not only without the pedigree, because there are people who just kill the entire game and they didn't go to any, you know, shiny school, but literally have not proven themselves, no track record to point to. I've seen people who, I mean, they're sometimes given million dollar contracts, no website. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> How do you have no website? Where did you come from? And why were you awarded that? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot behind that, right? And we're going to get into the nitty gritty, but we're also going to talk about ways that some of us who are, believe it or not, more introverted and we're just sitting quietly grinding away, building our competence may not be seen because we're not as vocal, we're not as extroverted, and we're not out there beating our chest so loudly others can't hear their own thoughts. I will add to that, uh, Maria, that working in technology, <laughs> we see it all the time where people come in, they were referred by a friend or they worked with them on another project. And sometimes the coding, especially with developers, the coding is no good, but you don't find out. It's like hiring a chef or a cook and you having opening night for your restaurant. And you don't realize that the food is no good like a week or two before opening is scheduled. And you've sent out all the press, <laughs> you did all the things. And then when you go to actually do the lineup of, of what's on the menu, it's no bueno. And you're like, what? But in technology, it happens more than you think. The fact that we have the proliferation of lots of applications and things that have made our lives easier is thanks to good engineers and good code, but too many engineers are kind of mediocre <laughs> or actually write bad code and they never really get caught. And they're paid a lot of money to do what they do, but you don't find out until later. So it's one of those situations where the experience level of working in projects, you kind of have signs that you look for and flags that you look for to root that out earlier than later. But that comes with experience and being bamboozled at least once or twice. And then you have product managers and project managers who couldn't manage their way out of a paper bag, a wet paper bag too. Why is this project going downhill? Because they don't really know how to manage. Because someone sat and took a certification exam, and even sometimes those, Maria, they don't have proof of. They allegedly have the certification. It's on their LinkedIn. You hire them, and they're actually not good at all at what they do or what they say they can do. So I just wanted to lend that to you in regards to how do the people who are not as extroverted but are extremely talented and extremely competent, how do they rise to the top like cream? Mm -hmm. Taking a step into contextualizing this, I think uh, when you and I were discussing this at one point, you made the, the very good observation that this seems to be a very Westernized culture phenomenon, like particularly English speaking. So we'll stick to kind of what we know and stick to our knitting a little bit. But 
in certain other cultures, like Asian culture, it isn't the wrongest and the strongest who uh, get to lead just by de facto of being the most vocal, you know, or the most showy about what they have accomplished or what they want to claim they've accomplished and what are the point. So where, where does all of this come from? I spend time thinking about culture and, and firm culture and all our work culture. And why are things this way? One has to sort of talk about some of the origins, one of which is nepotism, right? Like they, we've all heard of, or many of us have heard of and seen with our own two eyes, the privilege that is awarded to people who have that connection, whether it be a familial connection or some sort of school connection, fraternity sorority connection, and they get the hookup. Whether or not they're ready for that position, they're given it and <laughs> exceptionally competent about it. Because once you're in the role, what, you're going to fess up to the fact that you may not know what you're doing and you know you don't know what you're doing? Often not. As we had one Jamaican teacher back in high school would say, a lot of times you observe people just standing up and being wrong and strong. <laughs> and that flies more often than um, one would think. But the people who you, if you're an elite circle and you're summering with these people and your family's vacation together and you're part of the, the same country club circles after a time, it seems like you're given a lot of the benefit of the doubt. And so it's like, sure, why why not? I mean, how much damage can you do? Sure, here's this role. Have at it. Despite the fact that there might have been someone or someones who have been working diligently towards that role, and yet hiring from within for a variety of reasons isn't the decision at that point. But I was also thinking about, okay, so the extroversion, the showiness. And I think you were talking a little bit about there seems to be a package deal where a lot of managers, leaders, and it, it might be a cultural, an American cultural thing, where there's a lot of discussion about the very active lives, lifestyles that they have on the weekends and the, you know, the rock climbing or the skiing or the <laughs> going off and doing safari and taking down animals or the scuba diving with sharks. And that somehow also goes into you being more of a leader or showing up as more of a leader. And I'm, my, my family's not from this country. I'm not really sure what the connection is there, but Elise, do you have any thoughts about how do we in corporate draw the picture of that person is competent, even though they may not have demonstrated that? Well, to me, it goes way back to the history of America. I mean, being founded. And of course, you had the Dutch here in the New Amsterdam, right? <laughs> That's how New York got its name. And you had the Puritans and people coming over from England. And America has very waspy roots, especially on the East Coast, not the West. The West is, you've got Spanish influence from Mexico and the Spanish conquistadors and Native Americans, but you also have the new money or the people who wanted to strike it rich and strike gold 
and oil out here in the West, but the America's roots tend to be very waspy and tie back into us being the colonies of the Brits. And the Brits, you know, it comes down to good breeding. Who is your family? <laughs> Where are they on that org chart <laughs> as far as the families and, and tracing your roots back? Do you go riding on the weekends? Do you have a country home? It's the same package just across the pond here on a different shores, if you will. So, you know, going to school in New England, it doesn't get more waspy than that. And, uh, and then you have your Ivy League schools and your elite schools and um, your liberal colleges that may have some Quaker roots coming down a little later. But it all goes back to that puritanical Plymouth Rock, the colonies, and that breeding. And the English tend to, or the Brits, they tend to reward adventurous leaders. I mean, that's how they conquered the rest of the world. That is how they colonized. You cannot be perceived as a weak person and lead a ship armada, if you will, across <laughs> uncharted territories and waters without having a certain type of, if you will, masculinity. Or you could say it's toxic, but that's what they're looking for. So now in modern day, you have people who, oh, our leader, <laughs> our CEO, they were hanging off the side of Mount Kilimanjaro last year. They went to, to Botswana and they slayed a zebra and a, and a lion. And they do tough mutters in their sleep. <laughs> and, and next week he has the Spartan race. And we're also going to do the America's Cup as an organization. So all of that is taken into the model, if you will, the package of what a CEO is supposed to look like in America. And... I do want to say that I'm not against your network, right? Because we all have networks, whether that network be the network of your block, the network of your cul-de-sac, <laughs> the network of your bicycle crew, your, or your skateboard crew, but everyone has a network and you do want to work within it, but sometimes you need to learn how to reach out and, and break beyond that usual network to look for talent. I'm glad you went there because you and I went to really good schools. So I'm not going to sit here and knock shiny schools, but I don't think it's just me. I think as a person of color, it gained us a level of credibility that we needed to have in order to be invited to interview and to talk to certain, talk in certain rooms, you know, just to even get into the door, rightly or wrongly. Okay. But now that I'm on the other side, after having had the privilege of going to um, one or two of these very elite schools, I can tell you that sometimes that level of competence is presumed by the network that you're a part of, if it's elite or the alumni association that you're a part of, if especially if the individual you're talking to is has always wanted to go there, has always been impressed by that. There's sometimes this halo effect that I have to admit is not always earned, right? There's a variety of ways people end up in elite uh, schools, as you know. Some people, their family is legacy. They've gone there for generations. So the policy is you get to go 
you just get to go. It doesn't matter how you um, test or what you're good at. And by the way, I think I have this philosophy that we're all really good at something, but it doesn't necessarily mean if you're not great academically, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have competence. But I think when you go to some of these schools, you're it's automatically assumed you can then be a great leader when the reality is maybe you were a great test taker. I know for a fact I'm not great at, at many things, but I was an exceptional test taker. So I passed a lot of just practicing and studying and all the rest of it. Does that make me a natural leader? No. And the corollary to that is if you are an exceptional individual contributor, does that make you a natural leader? Also, no. There's emotional intelligence that doesn't come with a degree just because you graduated from somewhere or just because you did those Ironmans. But leading people does involve and continuing to inspire them, continuing to keep morale up. In my humble opinion, and, and those of some other very bright people who I've you know, read and seen at conferences and, and gotten the privilege to work with, those you know, managers, those leaders who have emotional intelligence, they are game changers. And so that's also something I think one of the points I wanted to make is it's a kind of a leap to make presumptions just on the basis of outward trappings. I do want to talk about that's the male model, right? Absolutely. Of what a leader looks like in America, in, in corporate America. An archetype. So, mm-hmm. Right. The female archetype, though, what I have seen tales of, I'll tell you a tale real quick. I was working at this huge financial firm, and I think the Lean In book came out. This person was a managing director one of the rare female managing directors at this huge firm. And they were leaning in all the time, espousing it, talking about it, practicing it, if you will. And one of the ways they leaned in was on Fridays, when it was summer Fridays, especially when everyone is waiting for the head of their team or the head of their area to leave so they can leave for the day or get let go by said lead. She would purposely stay late. And flex that arm as if, you know, I'm here. My team is here late. I'm here late. We're grinding on a Friday. And I don't know anyone in summer Fridays in New York in investment banking or corporate banking culture who wants to stay after six o'clock on a Friday, much less to six. And they had three assistants, so they could do that. So in that sense, the leaning in was a little hypocritical, if you will. And then that same director had an admin an executive admin assist who hurt herself on the job. And when she wanted to work remotely for those three to four weeks to heal her leg, she told her no. She made her take all of her vacation time and then some. And so that person who works for her, not anyone else, was not going to get their holiday time off with their family, their whole year was pretty much screwed as far as personal time off because they got hurt at the job. But where was the leaning in in that? So sometimes it can come off as very hypocritical or yeah, you can lean in because you can afford to. What do you think, Maria? 
I totally agree. I remember when that book came out and I underlined and flagged it because I was like, I don't know. I see where she's coming from, but I don't know if they apply to particularly in my case or the case of a few folks that I knew. So, and I, I've mentioned other books that have worked in terms of um, applicability more, but one of the things that um, come to mind, my mind is, keeps coming back is the business of communication and the common thread that if you are eloquent and you're very articulate and you're confident in your delivery, that's seen as oftentimes leadership ability. And women are, and we've talked about this before, women are not always heard in a way that is seen as leadership, even though it's just a style thing, okay? Even accents, okay? If you have an accent, oftentimes it depends on where your accent is from, whether or not you're thought of as articulate or- Oh, please talk about this a little bit. Yeah, because if you have an English, Australian, an Aussie accent, a Kiwi accent, and corporate America, that may seem, be seen as a good exotic <laughs> versus someone coming from a different country altogether. Isn't that interesting, the stratification of accents? Totally. That's exactly what I was going to say next. It's <laughs> it's something that I think was unconscious for a really long time, but I wanted to raise it as it's a thing. And I have tales of people who were very competent but their accent was not from one of the nations that you mentioned. They weren't, you know, British or Irish or an Aussie or something like that. I personally love those accents as well. But it shouldn't have been the case that they were not seen as being very thoughtful, actually very articulate if you listen to the content of what they were saying and not busy judging, okay, where is this accent from? Why is it thick? You know, all of these things that will pull away from the competence that this person is exhibiting. And I have tale after tale of that. It's usually African and Asian cultures and then Latin American cultures where inadvertently, I think people are busy having thoughts about, I wonder where this person is from. I wonder why they're so air quotes articulate. Side note, folks, that's insulting. <laughs> to tell that to certain people who are as educated or more educated than your average bear to point that out, especially to a person of color after they've invested how many years in school? Yeah, <laughs> we'll leave that there. But even I, you know, I'm not an exception to this. I have to remind myself, be very careful about how you judge someone's communication style it, when they have an accent because it's easy to miss just how exceptionally bright they're they are and what they're trying to communicate if you're too caught up in the delivery. And that could be that they're not necessarily as energetic as the, the folks who do Ironman and they're off-road biking and all the rest of it. And so their presentation may not be as entertaining, but if you listen to the content, man, it's, you know, sometimes they're, they're just breaking knowledge. And I will watch people miss the profound things that are being said because they're so caught up in, 
well, I, you know, the accent doesn't work for me. They need to work on their communication skills. And it's like, but do we instead need to work on our listening skills? <laughs> what can you do to show up a little bit more confident in your competence, in your um in your perspective, because I think that's really important. That's a, a lesson that I had to learn over time because again, believe it or not, I um, was ex painfully extroverted in school and I had to learn to give good extrovert for my introversion by being involved in presenting a lot and, and engaging in group meetings and the rest of it for the benefit of my career and to provide value that I, I knew I could in, in many situations. So if you're listening and you're introverted, I'm here for you. I got you. I got you, fam. There's a place for us as well. There's hope. <laughs> as a team lead myself and working on projects and products in IT, you have to be perceptive. Like I would say most of the times in IT, it takes time for a team to build trust with one another, especially with the handoffs checking code, code review, pushing it up from one platform to the next, and then testing, testing, and coming back and actually writing real acceptance criteria and figuring out whether something passed or not or failed. There's a trust there, but the truth is, is that the way we work, especially in a software development lifecycle or app development, the team is not political, if you will. They're not supposed to be. The team lead or the project manager or the product manager or the delivery manager, depends on the structure, they're the ones that are expected to be political. But to be a good leader to me of a team, I'm very perceptive that in IT, many people are not verbose. Some people, I find more than probably 50% are somewhere on the spectrum. And that doesn't mean they're super special. It just means that they're not maybe the most articulate but they know how to do their job really, really well. And you have respect for that. So in that structure, you, you're trying to be perceptive of what your team needs and, and each person is different. And I try to vary my communication styles, listening styles and understanding uh, when working with each teammate to make sure they're well represented and our work is well represented upstairs. And if we have needs, I express them. But Maria, I, I want to discuss why this style of leadership of the exceptionally competent, minimally qualified leader or leadership is problematic in the workspace today in 2021, or maybe has been all along. Yeah, we said a lot about this exceptionally confident, minimally qualified style of leadership. And some of the reasons why that style doesn't always work and can be problematic is because at a certain point, you can be found out on your BS. That can only take people so far before the needs of the business rise up and they're going to be met and they may be met with or without you as a leader. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get fired. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get told, but the ground may change around you in a couple of different ways. One, um, you may not be able to attract business at the same clip or, or it will decline while your competitors will do better. You may face that unfortunate early end to your tenure, which you didn't plan on having, 
once you've been given enough runway to either build credibility and competence and you don't actually do that, that very opportunity that you were given could end before you're ready for it to end. The other thing too is morale of your teams will go down and it will become exceptionally hard to get that value out of them because they've been hoodwinked and that runs out of steam after time. There, there is a cost to that. It may not always seem obvious, but uh, that's not even an exhaustive list of costs. I'm sure listeners are thinking about like six, seven other ways that this can only run so far. Well, I'll say this. I mean, you may be very frustrated with the structure, but it is the structure. And I'm, I'm not being defeatist. I can be quite rebel, rebel over here. Sometimes you have to realize that you're within the system and you need to work within the system and not fight against it. So the style of leader that tends to succeed in corporate America, we pretty much identified some of the stereotypical <laughs> behavior that is exhibited or expected of said individual. But what can you do about it to work around it or within that system? There's times in any culture, in any society where there may be a shift change and that style of leadership is no longer preferred. There are other countries that don't honor that type of leadership. They don't desire that. And maybe America is headed for a change. Who knows? But in the meantime, you as a listener, and maybe you want to be a good leader one day or a thoughtful leader, what are the things that can be done to shine as someone who may be a little bit more introverted. They're not as extroverted, but you're competent, right? So one of those things that you could do is set appointments on Outlook or whatever your system is for coffee, walking breaks, or lunches with people in the organization that you would like to get to know or you'd like to introduce yourself to and network with. You'd be surprised how responsive people can be to that. It may seem a little forward to you if you're really, really, really down on the entry level in the weeds and you feel like you're just the person in the mailroom. But who's going to do it for you? Who's going to make those introductions? How are you going to get people to know who you are by name and match the name with the face? That's one way, right, Maria? Absolutely. And um, I just want to make a point about managing up, right? In addition to making those coffee breaks, those uh, chats, whatever is appropriate for your firm culture, do that. One-on-one, is it's much easier than one might think. And even if you are convinced it's going to be super awkward, just push through that. Remember, it's your career. So you want to be comfortable or do you want to move in your career? The other thing that I'd love to mention is this: uh, sometimes people stop at, I have to foster this relationship with my manager and they're obsessed with just that. I would suggest going beyond just your manager. Have those meetings. Sometimes, you know, have it regularly enough where it's semi-annually or quarterly with your manager's manager. And let your manager know gently, diplomatically that you're setting up these meetings so that you can be more comfortable with 
the leadership and where the organization wants to go and your understanding of that direction and your place in it. Also consider setting up those meetings with your manager's peers. Finally, as much as I, you know, was introverted and as much as I, you know, love my fellow introverts, it is our responsibility to advocate for our contribution and for ourselves. If you don't do it, do not trust that your manager will remember or even know of all the things that you've been doing. It's just not fair to you or to that manager. You have to take an active part in that. Tell your narrative because they, believe me, is a narrative about you. <laughs> the business of telling your manager, in addition to get to know some of your manager's peers, that can down the line be an opportunity where something exciting is happening and you might be able to join that team or at the very least have somebody else in your corner. I'll second that. Definitely <laughs> second that. And then, you know what? Also, if you have issues, right, speaking up, if making presentations make you absolutely sick to your stomach. I, I had a colleague who was very good at being an analyst, but when she had to make a presentation, she literally would call out of work, <laughs> miss the day. That's not sustainable. You have to speak up. You can't keep calling out because you don't want to make a presentation. And I suggested to this person, why don't you do Toastmasters or take a speech class at your local junior college or local college to get over that? I used to have a fear of public speaking and every now and then it, it still pipes up. But I've gotten over the fear of speaking publicly. What my issue is sometimes you're in meetings and you have proposals and there might be an, an organization where you're presenting and they have a culture of Definitely trying to hit the bullseye by tearing apart your presentation or taking you down a peg or two in the Q&A section of your presentation. So that's the part where I had to work on like not being rattled or having really elegant rebuttals to refute or to acknowledge their statement or their question. Totally agreed. I did my days in Toastmasters and I still kick myself for every um, ah, and so, but a little bit of the trick is not to focus so much on the um, ahs and so's. In addition to that, I remember I had been given the good advice and it's still on my list of things to do. <laughs> so maybe one of you all take this advice before I do. But to your point, at least about being able to react on, on your feet to that question that might throw you or that attitude or whatever, consider taking an improv class. That way you roll with the punches, so to speak, and you're not a deer in headlights. I mean, think about it. When you are presented to and you see the pre pre presenter just lost at a question, doesn't your confidence in everything else they've said diminish just a little bit? So um, that might be something to consider as well. Changing gears though. If you are an individual who you can see in yourself, some of the things that we pointed out with being extra confident, you don't have any issues with that. And you feel like, you know, what's wrong with being extra confident? The answer is nothing, okay? Not trying to diminish that at all. But the reality is you probably don't have all the answers. I mean, it's impossible for us to be exceptionally competent in all the areas. We can all improve on one thing or another. 
And if you are in the demographic category where you fit into that archetype that we've been talking about, look at no shame, no hate, but would really encourage you to start to tap into your women uh, colleagues and, and people of color colleagues, really and truly pause and internalize some of the things they're saying. Consider hiring more people of color, not just in the lowest of low levels, not just as your admin, not just as the person who, you know, is the intern and you feel great about yourself. People who have a different background and look differently, they experience this life differently and it will help your blind spots. They have blind spots, you have blind spots. How about we <laughs> cover all those bases so that you can be you can have that competitive advantage that Adam Smith was talking about. Also, consider promoting from within. I think a lot of times, and you have uh, more to say about this, I know, Elise, but a lot of times it seems like, oh, nobody here can help with this issue. Let me go outside. And sometimes that's true. But more often than not, I think because there's a saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Oftentimes, people within are overlooked because they've just been a part of the organization for, you know, longer than a year. Take a second look. I will add to this format that we're utilizing, the podcast. It's an art form, fairly new, well, 10 years old, maybe. <laughs> but I will say that this particular tale lends to some of the issues that have bubbled up in the public, in the media, regarding other podcasts. Uh, similar issues like what happened with the Bon Appetit crew last year. That really messed me up because <laughs> I looked towards my Bon Appetit videos as a place of comfort in early quarantine. And then that rolled into issues that just stemmed up all over the place and people like to label it cancel culture but that's not what this is the issue with gimlet media which was a major i mean they were a force to be reckoned with in podcasting period and the their number one show reply all and the disruption that came with the effort to unionize and as the reply all podcast was reporting on the bon appetit Kerfluffle. There was a kerfluffle within the kerfluffle. So <laughs> it became one big storm, a cluster storm. I can't say the bad word, but in and of it is that people are able to point the finger but not look at themselves and really examine. And I think also in 2020, we realized that humans have an issue with empathizing, truly empathizing. What does that mean? One thing to sympathize, oh, someone died, I'm so sorry. But to really feel that person's pain or their joy or their fears, it's still totally different. And to say, you know, I walked in very similar shoes. I do understand where you are. I think that leadership today in 2021 going forward, people like to use the catchword or the keyword right now, thoughtful leadership or servant leadership. But truthfully, it's more just thinking about who works for you. All the way down to the janitorial staff, they may be contracted out. Is that something that we can take on? Do they need benefits? 
things of that nature. And I understand we're in a capitalist society, America, corporate America is capitalist, point blank, period. But when you think about the courtesy that starts all the way from the top of the pyramid and trickles all the way down to the very bottom, the base, if your leader is thoughtful or using a, a servant type of methodology, it trickles all the way down. You can't fake that. It's authentic and it shows. And recruiting or hiring from within the fold, people feel like they actually have a chance to advance and morale will always be pretty much high. So th those are my tales. Listeners probably have a lot of opinions about this. We would encourage you, tell us. Send us your thoughts about tales of your experiences. Drop us a line. We would love to hear about it. Remember to always advocate for yourself because if you don't, no one else will. And to the listeners that have been overlooked, have overstayed, are complacent, or just plain unhappy, free yourself. Good luck and Godspeed till the next episode. Remember to download, follow, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and please feel free to leave us a review.